Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless the time in the Word. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for this building, for this place to sit aside and study your Word, fellowship with each other, uh, consider your kingdom. We'd ask that we would be reminded where we slip, that we would be alert to the way you wish us to think. In your Son's name, amen. Okay, we're in Matthew chapter 21 this morning. Um, it was a, a, a nagging thought, I think it was, a, a, con, a, a consideration I was giving to a concept, and it's just very vaguely in my mind, and so I went looking for a passage that would uh, help me run, run it out in my mind. And the first passage that sprang to mind was the story, the parable of uh, the two sons that are asked to be obedient and they have different responses and different actions. And that's midway down through this, this passage. But as I looked at the passage, I, I was uh, conscious of how we kind of like a passage like that. There are no really good people in the parable. The first son is insubordinate and gets around to obeying. And the other son is a pious piece of work and doesn't obey. But in either case, you know, one's telling his father to go fly a kite and he said, this can't be good. Well, we kind of root for that guy because, you know, he's the forgiven sinner. And we end up trying to justify how we model our lives to be primarily forgiven sinners. And so we maintain sin in our lives to be always forgiven sinners. But what I was thinking about, I wanted to start back at verse 23 of chapter 21 of Matthew. And now this is all happening. The triumphal entry has just happened. A series of other events. He is going to be crucified in short order. So all this teaching after, you know, 20-ish in, in Matthew is running up to his crucifixion. And it's always amazing to me when you look at what Christ says when it's not final exams that are coming in a week but your own very violent and very painful death. And you know it. And so the, there's a certain uh, almost nobility of the teaching in this section. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question, and if you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or from men? And they argued with one another, if we say, from heaven, he will say to us, then why then did you not believe him? But if we say, from men, we are afraid of the multitude, for all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. 
And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I wanted to include that before I got to the parable. The parable is the very next thing. It's the only gospel in which that parable occurs. Because his struggle with the Jews, who are going to have him killed in a week, is, a, uh, is one of authority. They want to know what his authority is, and he wants to know more primarily what they think of the authority of God expressed in John the Baptist. So the question I think we have this morning is what do we think of the Lord's authority? And it's not a trick question, but it's a difficult one. Because like the Jews, the chief priests and the elders, we know that what we say has consequences. Maybe not as pernicious as they but we know that if we say he is the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the Messiah who is to come, he is the Son of God and God himself, what, you know, say you say all the orthodox and right things, you know what that means. Remember, our daily life is not our theological uh, confessional life. You can say in a moment of church or a moment of you know, devotion and sanctity, the Apostles' Creed, and say some wonderful things. But don't ever say that as you sit on the edge of your bed before you get that first cup of coffee. Don't ever say the Apostles' Creed. Don't say, Lord, this is your day. You have made heaven and earth. This is your day I'm about to step into, your kingdom, etc., etc. You don't want to admit those things because then you'd have to do those things, wouldn't you? But at the same time, you can't say, Jesus Christ is nothing to me. Jesus Christ's authority is all from men. John the Baptist's authority is all from men. Because everyone who is anyone who has ever looked at Jesus Christ over 2,000 years, even people who don't believe in him, believe him to be the greatest ethical teacher ever and a scary claim even you a lot of you have talked about Jordan Peterson a agnostic who has been reading his Bible he's just amazed Christians you know that you're that you're dealing with something that you can't deny but then on the other hand you have uh, an quite willing to affirm it either. So isn't it just much better, like with the Jews, to say, I don't know. I don't know how much authority the scripture has. I don't know how much authority Christ has. I, I don't, you know, I've known Christians to disagree with Jesus. They certainly disagree with the apostles. So what I want you to think about this morning is this nature of, when you're talking about authority, by what authority are you doing these things? Christ says, by what authority did John do them? And we're stuck. What authority is going on here? Because authority is a concept that drips with submission. 
We don't even like to use the word authority. I mean, the Christian church today is roiled with Christians having differences of opinion about the roles of men and women. Right? Some of you are women. I'm a dude. Um, because the word authority, even the word authority, might be... Oh, you, you find Christians who don't like the authority of parents over their children. We're, we're into deep waters here. This is not just 2,000 years ago, the Sadducees and the Pharisees of the priesthood all being difficult with Jesus because of his authority. We have the same difficulty because we have the same problem with submission. And as I was thinking that, coming through this question of whose authority and what am I going to admit about Jesus Christ, do I say we do not know? And then Jesus says, and I put it in the center and I put it in bold, what do you think? Now that just might be a phrase, the way he told the story, and Evan is just, you know, putting it in the center and putting it in bold. But I thought, well, what do you think of this? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not, old man. But afterward he repented and went. And he went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the harlots believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him. Now what we got going here is basically what effect, what submission, what change. We're not recommending insubordination and then obedience over hypocrisy and piety and no obedience. We're not recommending either. We're telling a story. One story is the harlots and the tax collectors. If you want to be in that set, if you want to say, yes, I'm a hoe, but I repented, that's a fine testimony. It's a great testimony. And you might enter the kingdom of God before the Jews or the religious. But we're not recommending disobedience so that your storyline will match theirs. The point is, we are toward righteousness, the kingdom of God is where we're going, and it's the way of righteousness that John preached. Christ preached the way of righteousness. Now, that's the whole nature of authority. What are they trying to make us do? Because the authority steps in between being a tax collector and a woman of ill fame, and being repentant. The authority exists not before that, but after that. And after that, they repent. The young man repents and goes out to the field and does his father's bidding. He truly submits because he recognizes the authority. 
we kind of engaged by it because we kind of like that kid, you know. Um, it's a it's scene out of some teen movie. The rebellious kid who's got a heart of gold, gets around to what his father wanted him to do, but he gets to smoke a cigarette in a tough boy way. Versus the goody two-shoes there, the good boy without real righteousness. But we're concentrating on the wrong part. We're not being called to insubordination. We're being called to subordination. You know what subordinate means? To be subordinate means to place below. the Your ordinate place is what place? And to subordinate is to put you below. And when you're subordinate and not insubordinate, you understand authority. Now we know that this is something we're trying to get around. We have, these were, you know, the, the chief priests and the elders were religious people. A lot of people will have trouble, you'll be in discussions with Christians about the scriptures, and they go, I don't know if I agree with that. What do you mean you don't know if you agree with that? It's in the Bible. Well, you know, I've read some books. I've listened to some teachers. And it's all over the Christian church today, from conservative churches to liberal churches, it is um, dodging the authority of the Word of God. Now, we use devices to get at that. Devices that make us look like we're about the kingdom of God. We're not about the kingdom of God because we're not about the authority in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God suggests that God is the king in the kingdom of God. His path to the kingdom of God through the preaching of John the Baptist and the Christ and his apostles is a way of righteousness, a way of doing what God has said. Now this is, you know, sometimes it's good to um, assess where we are with the Lord. The, he does it here with father and sons. And that's a good place to begin, kids, if, while they're all upstairs. Um, maybe none of, you, none of you need that illustration. Husbands, wives, employees, employers. Um, we know that subordination, submission is good. So like with the prig son who says, I go, Father, and did not go. We have ways of speaking to our supposed authorities so it looks like we submitted when we didn't. I was talking to someone recently about some situation where a husband had said X, the wife did an end run around that X and got at what she wanted to do anyway. Um, sometimes people who are submissive grant submissions. I, I may call them here because this is the word that sprang to my mind, permission submission. That's when I know it's kind of right for 
you know, wives, children, employees, citizens, whatever, to submit. So I'm going to give them the right to be in charge of me here, right here, in this situation. I'll give them permission. Because I'm the one really in charge. You've heard it, you know, in, in political theory, it's, you know, a legitimate argument as to whether or not government is always the consent of the governed. We could have a long discussion about that, but sometimes a little too precisely, it's the kingdom of heaven that is guiding the, uh, the supposed submission. Guiding the supposed submission that says, okay, I want it to look like it's the kingdom of God, but I want it to function kind of like it's the kingdom of heaven. So I'm, or a, a, a wife doesn't want to look to the fellow Christians like she doesn't submit, so she permits her husband to choose X, and she does it. But his authority exists in the realm she put him in. Kids might do that too. I want to show off from my parents. Mom, is there anything you want me to do? So as soon as you feel as the most submissive you can, you go trot it out in front of your mother and have her tell you what to do and then you go do it. Because you've decided you're going to show how submissive you are. But that's not you submitting. That's you performing submission. It's when they walk into you when you're about to head out to the door to the place you wanted to go with your friends and say, I want you to stay home and do laundry. And you say, yes, milady. And you actually do it. You know, I don't know, the story doesn't go on that way. We don't have that example where somebody says, yes, father, and goes to the vineyard. In other words, has a... Uh, a deferential, reverent tone. Whatever you say, sir. The Navy, one of the first things they teach you is to yell at the top of your lungs, sir, yes, sir. Because it's only going to... There's a possibility you could say, sir, no, sir, but no had better be the right answer. But you're going to bracket it with sir. And you're going to yell it. And if you're not into yelling, I'm sorry, you're going to yell it. If you're not a loud person, I'm sorry, you're going to be loud. But some marine DI is going to be in your face yelling at you until you yell it. It's amazing what it does for them. The sense of understanding about submission. Because they don't want you to be deciding on the merits of the commanding officer's instructions. They don't want the sailors down there in the belly of the ship to be deciding that they're going to go up to the bridge and let the captain know that he can choose where we're going to go today. And we're going to submit today. The captain wants to know that he can drive into a war zone or if it's an infantry situation that he can command men to get out of a trench and charge across a field where there are landmines and bullets flying. He wants to make sure they will do that when they're told. It's the dumbest thing a person ever did. You've heard the phrase, cannon to the left of them, cannon in front of them. 
into the valley of death rode the 600 because they kept, they did what their commanding officers told them. Now it was a horrific slaughter. Charge of the Light Brigade was. Well, it was glorious. But it was a terrific slaughter because they obeyed the rules. They obeyed the orders. Do we understand when we're calling on Christ as Lord and we know that his kingdom is from sunrise to sunset, north to south, east to west, top to bottom, in to out, you can't go anywhere where God does not reign, and you are in his kingdom, and you're going to say, by what authority, you don't want to say, I don't know. You don't want to just trot it out for church in some chant that you give back to the vicar. We have other things we think we want to do. I had this, this next passage, verse 33. Hear another parable. What do you think of these things? What do you think of his authority? What do you think of your response to his authority? There was a householder who planted a vineyard and set her hedge around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again he sent servants, more than the first, and he did the same to them. Afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir, come. Let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now remember, this is a week before he's killed. He knows it's coming. Now what do they want? Have you ever known what it is to live on the capital of other submissions? You know, kids raised in a good family, middle class, dad provided, went to work, little son sitting there in the basement playing video games, wondering why mom doesn't show up with pizza rolls when she's supposed to. And they can't understand why they should have to work. I don't know why I should have to work. We sometimes, we get into a kingdom the Jews here, the, if you missed these saying, the Jews are these tenants in this vineyard. And God wants to see the results of his vineyard and the fruit that is being made. And they decide, no, we, we could have this vineyard. There are people in the church today who don't care for Jesus Christ a bit. In the church today, there are liberals who deny the deity of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection from the dead, and anything that they want to discard after they've discarded Jesus, they do. But they want the building, and they want the roads, and they want the services, and they want the history, and they want the prestige. They think they could become the heir, having killed the authority that's how, I mean, how foolish is that? Because what's really going to happen? 
they're not going to inherit. What's going to happen, he says? Verse 40, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, these are the people he talked to at the beginning who were the chief priests and the elders. He's already bothered them with, I'm not going to tell you by what authority. And uh, <coughs> the ungodly, first question, the ungodly will inherit the kingdom before you. And secondarily, you'd only deserve not to be just not second place, but tortured to death. That's what happens. What will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, that they is these chief priests and elders. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Uh, we understand what's going on here. It's his vineyard. He didn't get what he wanted. And we live in a society where everyone thinks they have a right to keep a job, that the management can't fire them, that I could do anything I want. I married this guy and he has to take care of me, neener, neener, neener. You don't get, you know, sorry, that's not the way the world works. Because when someone does that, the karma comes back on them. A miserable death. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. We have to recognize the stone that the builders rejected. We have to recognize that when we claim to be Christians, we're claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. When we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is the one who's in charge. I have to do without question. From the time I roll out of bed in the morning, I don't get to say, well, I'm not really a morning person. You mean you're a sinner. And you get to say, now, after this Sunday, I've been a very disobedient Christian in my claims to not be a morning person. I better be lying on my back confessing my sin that I'm planning to do before I get up. Because my God is my God. I get to do what he says. The way of righteousness to the kingdom of God. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. He's telling the Jews here, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, that's one aspect of it. But the key thing is not because Gentiles, Jews, that's the real ticket, because now it's a Protestant, you know, Anglo-Saxon religion and not, not a Middle Eastern, you know, uh, knife fight. It's a, uh, it's a question of who produces. The nation that is God's nation is not the Scots, though we'd all suspect it was, wouldn't we? It's not the Italians, it's not the, heaven knows, the Irish. It's the nation producing the fruit of submission to the kingdom of God. Are we the nation that is producing the fruit of the kingdom of God? Have we heard or looked at our devices of how I don't have to do 
You've been in this discussion. I've, me- I've, me- I've mentioned it in church a number of times. Some difficult thing of Christ uh, comes up. I don't care what it is. Uh, the usual one is yeah, turn the other cheek. Okay. What's the first thing the Christians say? Well, what if... That's the first thing they say. It's like we're trying to outline where we don't have to obey what he says. Now, there may be an actual argument there. Grant that. But why does our mind go there? It's almost as if you were trying to design a religion that featured your will, your narrative, your your authority structure, the world you were trying to make. Like you were in the tenant, you were a tenant in the vineyard, and you weren't producing what the master wanted, and you decided to kill somebody to see if you could get control of this thing. Did you rough up his messengers? And then we wonder why Christianity, in either our lives or people we know, becomes so dull and so unappealing and so not what anybody wants to become. Well, because we designed it. When the stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, when you roll out of the sack in the morning and put your feet on the ground and say, is this this is the day the Lord has made. And in fact, I think that's a... What's, what psalm is this? 118, something like that? <laughs> this verse here, the very stone which the builders rejected, is Psalm 118, 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And that verse I just started to quote is the next verse. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That's the next verse. I don't know if that's providence, because I'm not that sort of person. But when you roll out of the bed in the morning, shuffle into your slippers, go looking for coffee, only thing you're allowed to be is maybe a little numb before the coffee, a happy, rejoicing lack of clarity, You can get clarity in the caffeine. You can't get righteousness in the caffeine. What's your day like? What do you think of the authority of Jesus Christ? What devices do you use? Have you granted him permissions in certain parts of your religious piety? Certain permissions, so yeah, you could be God over here. We're going to arrange something that looks a little bit better for our religion. Or are you experiencing something that might get you killed? Remember, the servants of the master got sent to the vineyard to collect the produce and either got stoned, beat up, or killed. So I'm recommending something that is not going to make you, it's going to make you good, but not necessarily popular. Especially in the religious community, because they're all busy chasing the master out and trying to still own the building. If we're going to be producing the fruits of it, you might get killed. But, here's the benefit. If you're producing the fruits of it, it's marvelous. It's marvelous in our eyes. We see Christianity being lived submissively, without a dodge, with a real desire to do his will, 
that when you pray the Lord's will be done, you really want God's will to be done. In uh, the King James, I think of the King James, I'm using the RSV here, uh, there's a verse added. You'll notice that it's verse 43, goes right to verse 45. It's not because I'm messing with the text, but the, the RSV said that verse wasn't in the earliest manuscripts of Matthew. Don't worry about it. It is in the Lucan account, and so I have the Luke verse here out of Luke 20, 18. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Uh, the stone wins. I think that's the basic. If you trip on it, it will break you. If it falls on you, it will crush you. You might as well let it be the head of your corner. And let it be marvelous. Let it be God's righteousness being created in his kingdom by his way of righteousness, by you being a submissive person. Not when you have chosen to let him be in charge, but because you know he is Lord, he is in charge. When the worst of all possible things are said, he is in charge. He is your God, for heaven's sake. Not using that word, the phrase, heaven's sake, ill-advisedly. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard his, his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Uh, they were really, really, really dumb people. But they figured it out. Hold it. You're talking about us. But when they tried to arrest him, they feared the multitudes because they held him to be a prophet. Christ is a problem for those who have got plans for themselves. The plans for yourself? Get that narrative all worked out? I'm going to be something. This is what I'm going to be. You don't want to think of Jesus too much because you don't want to have him go, I'm leading you to Tulsa, Oklahoma to be in the ministry in a small Bible church in Tulsa. Hell on earth. But I had a plan. I had a, I had a career. I had a, you know... We don't want to have God in charge. And that's specific. That's if God told you to go to Tulsa. But you know that a lot of things he tells you to do, just about being righteous, you don't want it though. You don't want to love your enemies. Because love your enemies. I'll let you work on that one for the week. Love your enemies. You know who they are, because they're your enemies. But uh, you get to love them now. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your son's faithfulness all the way to his end. <coughs> that he stood before the cross, still reminding us of what you were doing in this world through his life. Lord, we'd ask that you would give us both your patience and your mercy so that we might confess our failure to submit ourselves to your son. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.